Hi, I'm Victor Milligan. And I'm Jennifer Isabella. Our co-host for Forrester's podcast, What It Means, where we explore the major changes in the market influencing executive priorities. And on the phone with us today is Jennifer Bellisson, Principal Analyst at Forrester, to discuss the economics of data. Welcome, Jennifer. Glad to be here today. Thanks for having me. So, Jennifer, data has certainly taken center stage in today's marketplace and center stage both in the context of value, meaning data as fuel or oil or currency, whatever word is expressed with it, and then data as risk, meaning security and privacy. If I'm an executive, how important is data to me today in just simply running my business and, and exploiting what I have internally? Data is incredibly important to a business. You can even buy a T-shirt today that tells you data is the new bacon. I mean, as we've been talking to um, our clients, we're we're really driving them to be more insights-driven. And the data that they've got and data that they can source externally is what fuels those insights that they're using to make better business decisions, to drive actions across the business. So without that data, we're not going to have insights-driven organizations. And we know that being insights-driven gives them a competitive advantage in the marketplace today. So in the market today, there are at least two types of companies, those that are digitally native and those that aren't. And in theory, the digitally native firms have baked data into their business and economic model, but the legacy firms may not have. So what's the path or the early steps that these firms should be taking to start exploiting data? The advice that I'd give people is that, you know, it's not too late and it's not a hopeless endeavor. Um, We've seen a lot of larger established companies becoming um, more digital. Um, You know, there's a lot more effort involved. You know, I really like some of the things that AT&T has done. I mean, we think of AT&T as a, 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 an enormous old company, um, but yet they've started using some of their data internally. They use data to predict churn within their, you know, subscribers, and they've used their data to identify where to put their retail locations, their retail outlets. And so they've looked at their network traffic and identified more dense areas in an urban area, for example. And um, they can they can see within a city where the most interesting commercial locations. But then they can also look in that crowd, um, you know, in that ag- using that aggregated data that they've got, and they know things like. Um, household income, how well they're paying their bills, household size, and they can determine not just where to put the, the retail outlet, but what kinds of things to promote in the different stores. So in a certain location, maybe there's a high concentration of families, so they'd put family plans, um, maybe lower cost devices for, for you know, children or teenagers. Um, or is it an area that's got a lot of young urban professionals um, and maybe they put, you know, the high-end devices or promote an international plan. Um, so they really know a lot about what their subscribers are doing, where they're concentrated, and where they should be putting those retail outlets. Now, an interesting element there is they've now taken, you know, what they've done internally and they offer those services um, to others if you're looking to put a retail location or looking to put um, some outdoor advertising, you can tap into some of that, those same insights that AT&T has. So not only are they monetizing their data internally by knowing where to put their own retail outlets, they're commercializing their data 
um, and and selling it to uh, selling those insights to others. Yeah, almost like insights as a service, sort of playing on the same same trend that's happening in the marketplace. But let's turn our attention because AT and T as a firm is probably used to dealing with extraordinarily dense data. I mean, just call records coming up on phone calls is an enormous bank of data. If you look to a, a modern insurer, say it's Liberty Mutual or Progressive or the Hartford, you're looking at firms that have an ambition to move from annual automotive policies to on-demand policies, meaning that they would have a view of risk in real time premised on the time of day, traffic, weather, and the sensors on the car. So what that means is they're signing up to take on a whole new type of data and a whole new type of data streams and data volumes to govern the economics of their business. How does a company like that get their head around sort of orienting their business to something that they really haven't done in the past? So I, I, I agree with you that it, there is a business model shift in what they're doing, but you know, even insurance company is certainly not new to data themselves. I mean, they, they've built on actuarials. Um, and so the biggest challenge for them is to really shift their mindset and their, and, and their business models, um, offering new things like microinsurance. Or personalized insurance. So, um, you know, are you, can you buy insurance? And, and we're seeing this today: buying insurance when you rent a car or borrow a friend's car, or um, that really more micro or incremental access to an insurance policy. Yeah, it seems like the the change to me is AT and T sort of governs their business in near real time, and the insurers. Maybe have not. I mean, some of the actuary tables or risk assessments are done on a periodic basis. But here, they may be taking sensor data that comes off the car and adjusting their view of risk in near real time. I mean, it's just the pace, the pace of insight is, seems to me fundamentally different. Right. And that is a big, big transition. But it's not to say that it's impossible. And we've seen, we've seen companies do it. There's a company that I've been working with here in, in Europe. It's, um, La Mutuelle Générale, which is an insurance company, and and not only are they doing more with their own, you know, their their own data internally and changing their business models, they're again, this is another example of the insight services that we were talking about. They're using that data that they're collecting and offering new services to their um, to their customers. So, for example, they're insuring. Um, employers. They're providing health insurance through employers to employees. And they know a lot about what, you know, about the claims data, when employees are, are out on sick leave. Um, and what they've, one of the things that they've started to do, which is interesting, is aggre- again, aggregate that data um, and provide insight services to their employers, perhaps around something like staff optimization. We know that in this period of the year, you've got a lot of people out. So you might want to think about bringing in some interim help. So with in- insurance, it's, it, you know, what like what we were saying around the microinsurance, obviously it's changing business models. Uh, there's a lot of dynamism as well, but it's, it's opening yourself up to offer those new types of services and take advantage of the data that you've got. So in your example, both AT&T and the insurer, there was, there was data or insights being used as a service, meaning externally. And one of the big dynamics happening in the marketplace is the formation of industrial platforms. So just using an example where if you think about airlines and just sort of the governing of their business, you could imagine that the GEs or Siemens or others of the world are going to be pulling data off of their engines and other engines or the plane 
and being able to both use that data to improve their business services, but also to monetize it. So what that means is if I'm Lufthansa, the data that comes off my engine is now has a price value where before it didn't. How do firms start thinking of pricing data, whereas before it was valuable for insights, but now it's valuable for revenue? So, Victor, that's actually a really good question, and that's what I get a lot. What's my, what's my data worth? How do I value my data? Um, and I usually start an answer with a quote from Thomas Edison. He said, the value of an idea lies in the using of it. To me, the same with data. The value of data really is essentially what you do with it. It's context-based. Um, and so when we go through an exercise with a, a, a client, We'll start by asking them, what are the use cases for that particular data set? How can that data be used, and how could someone derive value from it? Um, and so it's really an outside-in approach. It's understanding what that use case is and then backing into um, a value. And sometimes it requires actually working with a customer, um, really more of a collaborative effort with a customer, co-creation effort to build the product or service and, and test what type of value can be derived from it. Um, so we've seen a lot, a lot of examples there. Honeywell works with its customers to, uh, across a, a supply chain customers, to understand how they can better use the data. And then from that work with the customers have built out particular specific products and services. Um, similarly, Siemens is uh, collecting data off of all of their, you know, everything having to do with railroads and trains. They've um, embedded sensors in railroad crossings and the locomotives, and they're e even doing text analytics of the radio transmissions. Um, but the way that they're monetizing that or commercializing it is by providing these insight services out to their customers and really understanding how the, their customers are able to either reduce their costs or generate new revenues. Um, and so it's working from that outside in, that outside use case back in um, and deriving the value in that way. Yeah, going back to your Thomas Edison quote, which is, if, you know, if I use the Lufthansa example or, or KLM or American, whoever airline it might be, I mean, there's several uses that are interesting. One is there's the issue of the health of the engine themselves, meaning that data from an anomalous engine, an engine in trouble, may have more value than an engine that's operating normally because you're going to see things that cross thresholds or went outside parameters. So therefore, it's interesting to see what caused it and how it got back to a normalized state as one example. And the other example is that if I'm GE or Rolls-Royce or other engine makers, I may be actually pricing the engine by air miles versus as one piece of equipment. So in, in two cases, I, I have a new thing forming, meaning there's no sort of economic precedent for air miles, nor for the valuation of data that is either a normalized state or an anomalous state. How, do, how does the ecosystem sort of understand that value as it comes into play? You know, it's a really good question, Victor, and actually where there is no precedent, it often comes down to a really dynamic exercise of what will the market bear, what, what maybe it's a little bit of testing. Sometimes they go out with a specific price, see how it fares within the market. Um, if there's a lot of uptake, maybe they've priced it a little too low, um, and, and then they, there would be a revision exercise 
So we see that, that testing, uh, we see attempts to identify kind of what the price elasticity is, and then often the, the way it happens is, again, more incrementally. So an initial product or service offering maybe is even free with the idea that they'll add incremental services or incremental data on top of that um, and then start building the prices from there. So that's a way also of seeding the market with a freemium product um, and then evolving it over time, adding in new features, new data, new services. Um, and so it's not a once-and-done exercise by any means. Um, there's often not a fixed list price for, for the data because, like I said earlier, Everybody uses the data a little bit differently. The context changes, and the value for one person is not, or in one context is not necessarily the value that another would accrue from it. You know, and I can imagine that as whether they're insurers or banks or airlines, whatever it might be, they're just getting going in terms of making the data available at scale. And so you're sort of working in a level of scarcity. So you, you might see that they actually price the data as high as they can to which the market will bear, and then very similar to technology products, they just expect to have rapid commoditization of the product, meaning the data, as more data becomes available. And as people, to your point, sort of find what, what is the right price given the different use cases. I mean, I've seen companies that go out and set a price for a particular data set and then they might bring it back down. But it's, it's not that it would be flooded with the same data set and the same type of data that would give the same insights. So it's not like it becomes the commodity in that respect because it's all coming off of different systems and it all has different context to it. One of the other considerations associated with pricing is obviously the, the cost of the data itself, but not just the cost of getting the data and making it available, but actually with data comes security and privacy risk and I'm sure other risks. Do you see people baking the cost of privacy and security and risk into data? You'd obviously want to price in, you know, the cost of goods sold or the cost of providing the service or the extent to which you invest in that data in order to improve the security of it, to ensure the privacy of anybody who might, whose data might be included in it. Um, then you would certainly want to include those costs in any pricing model that you, you know, that, that you would use. So virtually in any market, you're going to see data taking on a much more prominent role in the economics of the firm. But data is no easy task. Data is diverse, it's dispersed, and it's dynamic. It sits in many systems of record in different business units and different functional silos. Harnessing this data, again, is no simple task. How are companies thinking about this? What we're starting to see is really a centralized effort to bring all of the data assets and resources together. And I don't necessarily mean from an infrastructure perspective, but appointing somebody that really has a purview across the organization with regard to data. And you see, we see a proliferation of a lot of, I mean, lots of different titles. We see chief data officers, chief analytics officers, a director of data strategy or data innovation, head of insights. I mean, we have a whole world word cloud <laughs> with different titles. Um, but the, the bottom line is now what we're seeing is about 51% of organizations have a chief data officer specifically. 
um, more of them would have, you know, a data leader if we included all of these other titles. But chief data officer specifically 51%. Now that, that does differ across industries. We see some industries leading the way. Manufacturing has a little bit, a little bit higher. Financial services comes in around the average. Government tends to be a little behind the curve. But one of the other things that we know from our data is that those who report having higher revenue, so top performers from a revenue perspective, they are much more likely to appoint a chief data officer than those who have slower to no growth. Yeah, it's interesting because if I think of a chief data officer, one may say, well, that's they're solving a big technology challenge. But at least in my experience, data is shockingly emotional and political, meaning if data is perceived as a power center, you could price it, people tend to want to hoard their data and may not make it as available. And the chief data officer may be charged not simply with a technical challenge, but the political challenge of making an enterprise asset. Is that a, is that a fair statement? Uh, absolutely a fair statement. You know, when we've talked to the chief data officers about what they bring to the table, what about them is really helping to drive the data strategy within their organization, it's often down to not their technical skills, but their communication skills, their collaborative skills. How can they bring groups together? And that's a really big part of it. It is a lot of politics. Yeah, you can imagine this three-legged stool of someone who's politically savvy, has a significant vision for price value and currency of data that doesn't exist in precedent today, and as well has to handle the technical sort of reality of data at its very core atomic state. I mean, that's a heck of a challenge. They have a lot on their plates. And, and interestingly, you know, when we talk to them about the kinds of people that they're bringing onto their teams, there's a role that really jumped out to us that's interesting. It's, some of them call them a translator role or, um, you know, the storyteller role. But it's helping, you know, almost an internal marketing type of role, helping communicate across the different, the different groups. Because one of the things that we see is they sit between the business or a bunch of different business units and the IT department or the technology teams. So they really have to make sure that both of those sides understand each other. So the data strategy is sitting with a backdrop of a ton of technologies coming into the enterprise. IoT, which is going to produce a lot of data. You have AI, which will exploit the data in a much more intelligent and at a faster clip. Cloud, which places the data elsewhere. So you have to think that data and technology strategy have to be thought of as one thing. Absolutely. And I think that there's been so many new technologies uh, coming into this space all very quickly. Um, and I think people have gotten very excited about them. But what we've seen specifically, for example, in the smart city space is cities got very excited about implementing things like smart street lighting and instrumenting their street lights or instrumenting parking spaces um, because those new technologies had become available, um, but the, there, there lacked a maturity about their uh, data maturity in, in their ability to actually consume the data that was coming off of those new systems and be able to derive insights from it. So what we've seen is an evolution of these two, the technology strategy and now a, a bringing in of the data strategy and developing a greater data maturity within an organization and a 
data literacy across the employees in an organization so that they can understand how to use that data that's coming off of those new technologies. So I absolutely agree with you that you need to see the technology strategy and the data strategy come together and work as one. So Jennifer, we went through this podcast, data as currency, data as price value, pricing and risk, and all the different meanings of data getting to the very nature of business. And you're seeing this in open banking and insurance and other markets where data is beginning to be sort of the the invaluable commodity. What does it mean to an executive who now has to grapple with data as an engine of their company? So data in the past has been, you know, an exhaust of the systems that ran their companies. Perhaps many business leaders didn't even think about the data that came off of those systems. What we're seeing now and what we're going to increasingly see going forward is that data is going to be the primary business drivers of those companies. It's really going to be the the economic engine that drives revenues, whether it's the way they use that data internally uh, to better serve their customers or the way they take that data to market to drive new revenue streams. All leaders are going to need to really think about data as as fundamental and, and core to their business. And then when they do that, when data becomes a revenue-generating asset, some of those other things that have been considered a cost or considered a, an, a just an exhaust, they become strategic investments, not merely costs. So it's really going to transform the way that data is seen within an organization and seen as a driving force of, the, of, of our economy. Jennifer, thank you so much for joining us today. Yes, thank you much for your time. Hey, thanks for having me. I enjoyed it. If you like what you heard today, please subscribe to Forrester's What It Means podcast on iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or TuneIn. And don't forget to leave us a review. To continue the conversation, follow Forrester on Twitter and LinkedIn. Thanks for listening.